So the desire for safety and security is a major concern for people today. It's a major thing that, that motivates us with the decisions that we make. This desire for safety, uh, for security. Advertisers use it to sell us products. We make life decisions because of it, because we want to feel safe. We want to be secure. There are precautions that we take in life every day in order to be safe. There are things that we eat. There are things that we don't eat because we want to be safe and secure. We buy cars with safety features, with uh, special crumple zones, different things, because we want to be safe and secure. Because we realize that we live in in an insecure world. And I think that this desire for safety and security is maybe today even more pronounced than it has been at times in the past. I mean, as we mentioned, today you would be hard-pressed to find a playground anywhere with a teeter-totter because they're dangerous. I remember growing up, and when I was a kid, I remember my parents uh, putting me in the back. We We had a station wagon. And so you have the different seats, and in the back you have the big cargo section. And I remember parents would, would put us in the back there, and we'd drive to wherever we're going. And we're just back there, and we're playing, and maybe some friends or we're on the way to a baseball game, whatever it is. You know, we're not buckled in. It's just a, a, a giant portable uh, a, a, a playpen that we're in. That's, that's what it was. And how many of you have those memories? Okay, I can't even imagine People doing that today. I can't even imagine. Instead, our kids today, we have these massive you know, car seats. They're buckled up like a race car driver, you know, different points of harnesses. And these car seats that are, that are massive and expensive and that have expiration dates too. That I've never figured this out exactly, how it goes from one day, it's this cocoon of safety. And then the next day, death trap. And you have to buy a new one. Somebody's, somebody's making money there. But we, we have this concern for safety, and that's not all wrong. There's responsibility for it, and there's reasonable precautions. But we realize that no matter what precautions you take, there's only so much you can do. That if tragedy wants to be coming for you, it's going to find you. I don't know if you remember, a few years ago there was in the news, there was a man in Florida... And I remember, actually, my wife was Facebook friends with a neighbor of, of this person. Uh, someone in Florida, at home, in bed, sleeping, when suddenly a sinkhole opened in this person's house. A giant 60-foot sinkhole and took the man down, and he, he was gone. And that was the end for him. And this guy wasn't out climbing some mountain. Okay, he wasn't swimming with the sharks. He was at home, in his bedroom, in bed. Okay, you think of the most safe place you could imagine that you're supposed to be. He's in his home, he's he's in bed sleeping. And the ground opens up and swallows him alive, and, and that's the end. And if that can happen, that you can take all these precautions and the end comes for you, it is a reminder to us that we do live in an insecure world, it reminds us about, about how very little control we have in the world that we live in. 
And we watch the news, and it just gets worse. So what's our response to all of this? Do we just uh, we wrap ourselves up in bubble wrap, try our best to keep ourselves safe? Uh, do we double down on insurance or just curl up in fear somewhere? I don't think that's the response that God wants us to have. No, the answer. The answer is that we need to believe the words of Scripture. Words like the ones that Jesus, are recorded from Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, 26-33. And Jesus spoke these words to us so that we do not have to live lives that are paralyzed by worry and fear. Even though we do live in a very insecure world. And we'll see as we look at this that the fear of the Lord is the good fear that casts out all other fears. Let's read this together. Matthew 10, 26-31. Jesus says to his disciples, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. We're going to look at this passage, and the main point is, do not be afraid. And in this, I see at least four reasons why we do not have to be afraid. And the first one we're going to see, looking at the initial verses here, is do not be afraid because truth is not meant to be hidden, but proclaimed. Now, first, we think, well, what does that have to do with not being afraid of, of calamity and tragedy and different things? And that's where we have to look at this and, and look at this in context. Notice in verse 26, it says, Have no fear of them. So that reminds us that Jesus is saying something here that we need to look at in context. And if we look back a little bit, so if you have your Bibles open, you'll see that before this, Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he was warning them that persecution would come. He was warning them that there would be hardships, there would be persecution that would come. Jesus was going to be sending them out into a hostile world to take the gospel, to take the the message of Jesus Christ. And Jesus did not hide from them that following him would lead to persecution, that it would lead to suffering. Look at some of the things that Jesus said just in the verses right before this. In verse 16, he said, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Now here's the thing. If you are a sheep, there are many places you might want to be But being among wolves is at the bottom of the list. 
that is not where you want to be as a sheep, a defenseless sheep among wolves that want to eat you. Your life expectancy as a sheep goes way down if you find yourself among wolves. But that is where Jesus said that he was sending them. In verses 17 and 18, he says they will be handed over to the courts to be, to be flogged, to be whipped, to be beaten. Verse 22, it says, all men will hate you because of me. That because the natural man, people without Christ, hate Christ, they hate light, they hate, they hate the true God, they will hate those that represent him. He's saying, realize that's, that's the reality. They're not going to love you more because of this. They're going to hate you because of me. In verse 23, he says, when you are persecuted. Notice he did not say, if you are persecuted. Like it could be maybe on the off chance that maybe you're persecuted. Have this in mind. No, he said, when. When this happens, that you're persecuted. And in verse 24 and 25, he says, that a student is not above his master. That if, if they persecuted Jesus, if they called Jesus Beelzebul, if they called him a demon, how much more will they malign the members of the master's house? So he's saying, you've got to keep this in mind. And right after that is when he says, so have no fear of them. Still, all these things are true, but have no fear of them. And he explains why. And I think maybe there's at least two reasons that are packed in here why this is true. Because he says, he gives a reason. He says, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed. Okay, nothing is hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim in the housetops. I think there's maybe two reasons here. And one is, don't be afraid because there will become a time when you are vindicated. Because here's the thing you have to realize. Because they did this to Jesus, they did it to his disciples, and people will do this to you and I as well, too. If we represent Christ, if we proclaim his truth, that you can be as Christ-like and loving as Jesus himself. Okay? It's, you can be as, as tender and compassionate and loving as Christ, and people will still slander you. They will malign you. They will malign your character. They will make up things. They will call you an evil person and a a hater. All these different things. The same way they did with Christ. But there will be a time, take comfort, where the truth will be made known. Where it will be evident. And that you will be be vindicated. And the truth that you stood for will will be made known to everyone. Keep that in mind. But I think there's also something, and maybe this is even deeper here, is that do not be afraid to proclaim God's truth because there's just something about God's truth that it is meant to be proclaimed. That it's the nature of God's truth itself that even if it isn't popular, it it demands to be set free. It demands to be just set loose. It is not meant to be hidden under a basket somewhere as we as we cower in fear it's meant to be proclaimed that regardless of the consequences god wants us to have the boldness to proclaim what god says is true and right without modifying it even though this world is not going to appreciate it and you know not all christians or people that claim to be christians feel this way 
I mean, I remember hearing an audio recording by a, a very famous pastor, and there are many Christians, like this one, that I think sometimes they want to change God's standards to make them more appealing. And this one audio recording I was listening to from this one pastor, he was being interviewed, and he, this pastor was well known that he did not like to talk about sin. He did not like to tell people that they, that they were sinners, that they were rebels against God, that they had a sin problem. He was well known for that, and he was outspoken about that. And when this interviewer asked him why he wouldn't talk about sin, this is what he said. This is a direct quote. He said, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean you should preach it. Compare that with, with Paul's attitude. When in Acts 20, 27, he told the Ephesian elders that I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God's word. Yes, we should tell people God's truth in a winsome and loving way. There's a time and a place for what needs to be said, but proclaim it without being ashamed. In the days when Henry VIII was the king of England, he was known for being very temperamental. He was known that he could be very cruel. And think of what happened to many of his wives. And there was a, a preacher named Hugh Latimer that at one point found himself preaching with uh, Henry VIII in the audience. And he looked out and he noticed that Henry VIII was in the audience. And uh, he records that the thought that went through his mind immediately was this. The king is present. Be careful what you say. But then he says that no sooner did that thought go through his mind than another thought. The king of kings is present. Be careful what you don't say. Do not be afraid. Truth is meant, it's not meant to be hidden. It is meant to be proclaimed. A second reason why we should not be afraid is simply because man is not worthy of our fear. This is something we've already talked about in this series. But look at this verse again because it is so key. Verse 28, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So you realize on one hand, Jesus is saying, don't be afraid And on the other hand, he is saying they can kill your body. Now that seems like it would be a reason to be afraid of them. You say they can kill you. They can kill your body. But the truth is that there there are people, there there are situations, there are things, there are diseases, they can do terrible things to us like they did to the original disciples. But the worst that they can do is to kill us. But there's another sense where they can't even touch us. If you are in Christ and you are held secure by Him, they can't even touch you. See, we are not just material beings. This physical body is not all that makes us up. It's part of us. It's part of the real us. It is valuable. But we are composite beings. We have, an Im- we have a material part, but we also have an immaterial soul. And that's what this verse is saying. They can kill your body, but they can't even touch your soul. 
And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So even if they kill you, even if something happens that separates you from your physical body, you get to go be with, be with the Lord instantly if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. So think of the most that they can do. Yeah, they can, they can do stuff to this body. So imagine, well, sometimes I think of like the White House. And I don't really know how it works because there's TV shows and different things. They show the giant underground bunker and I'm sure there is something and I wonder what it's like. It's probably amazing that they could probably you know, drop a, a, a nuke on the whole thing and level the whole top and the, the bomb-proof area that you can't normally see is probably fine underneath there. And there's a sense, I think that's kind of what it's like for us. There's this part of us that extends into this world, a material part that we can see, and yeah, people can damage, they can throw rocks at it, they can do what they want to. But there's another part that, that is beneath the surface that people can't see, that, that man can't even touch. And here's the thing, too. If we believe Scripture, not only is that true, but one day there's a resurrection. And so not only is there the, the bomb shelter part that they can't touch because God is preserving it and made it uh, immortal because of him, but eventually even the surface part gets rebuilt. So they can't touch part, and the part that they can gets rebuilt one day. Therefore, have no fear of what they do. But compare that to what God can do. That he can take the whole thing, top and bottom, uproot this, and he can, he can throw it in hell for those that persisted being enemies of, of God. Those who remain in their sin, and because of that, continue to be God's enemies even though Christ has gone to the cross, even though he implores us to turn to him and he offers reconciliation to each person, that he offers forgiveness. But if we say, I don't want that, I I choose to remain an enemy of the Lord, there's a fearful fate. Revelation 20 talks about the great white throne judgment. It talks about a lake of fire. And when Jesus here says that, that God can destroy both soul and body in hell. Destroy here does not mean annihilate, but it means to bring it to a state of eternal ruin. This is conscious, eternal punishment. That is worth fearing. If God can do that, and you persist in being his enemy, that is terrifying. But if God can do that, and he is on your side, what do you have to fear? And next, we don't have to be afraid because not even a sparrow can fall to the ground apart from the Father's will. Not even a sparrow. Let me put this another way. This means that Do not be afraid because nothing bad can happen to you apart from the Father's permission. And this is the section where it talks about sparrows and talks about not falling to the ground apart from the Father's will. A while back, I got kind of into a kick 
about taking uh, bird pictures. Now, I'm just as surprised about that as, as you might be. <laughs> and really the reason for that I, is because of uh, two ladies in my life. And one is my wife, Hope, who has a, a nice camera, and she loves to take pictures. And the other is because of my daughter, Zoe. Zoe, who loves animals. She loves every kind of animal, and she especially she loves birds. So for a while, we, uh, different times, we would sit by the, the back picture window, and we had a bird feeder on the back deck, and we would sit there and we'd watch the different birds come in together, and we would see what they are, and we would look them up. We'd get down the uh, Encyclopedia of North American Birds, and we'd look them up and try to identify which bird this is. And it would always take forever because Zoe would want to look at every bird picture as we're trying to, to find this. And it was just a, a nice uh, father-daughter time that we would have together uh, looking at these birds. And at one point, I decided to uh, get some pictures of, of different birds and to see how many different bird pictures I could get. And so it was a challenge to see how many I could, could catalog. So uh, would you like to see some of my bird pictures? Some of my bird pictures, if this is, might be something you enjoy. So I, I think I took a lot of these. There's some that Hope might have taken. I, I don't really remember for sure. So here we have a few on our back deck. These are some, some goldfinch. And they're, they're pretty little, bright, happy birds. So you've got you to gotta love them. Uh, we have lots of those that are around. Uh, we also have a lot of red-winged blackbirds. We have a little pond next to our house. And they love to nest in there. And uh, so lots of red-winged blackbirds. And they got that cool red patch on their wing, which, honestly, if it wasn't for the red patch, they wouldn't be nearly as cool. Because then you would just have just some boring black bird. But with that red patch, hey, that makes them cool enough to name a hockey team after. <laughs> so you got red-winged blackbirds, liking those. Uh, this one here, there's a downy woodpecker. Got a picture of that. That was pretty neat. I remember Zoe was pretty happy at the time because uh, she has a little stuffed woodpecker that she had from when she was in the hospital with three, uh, Mr. Woodpecker, if you want to know his name. And realized, oh, it looks exactly like this one. So we were pretty excited to see Mr. Woodpecker. Uh, we, have, we have this guy here, and I honestly don't remember what kind of bird this one is. But he's got this cool you know, hair feather thing going. Uh, he's a beautiful bird. He's hanging out there with a little seed in his mouth. A good-looking little guy. A few others here. You got the robin. Gotta love the robin. Famous for their, uh, their red chest. Uh, after a, in, Once winter hits, we'll be looking forward to seeing the robins because that's how you know spring is arrived when they, they finally show up. We have, here's a, a purple finch, uh, which they're finches that are purple. That's how that works. And so he's a handsome guy also sitting there. And here's a, uh, it's a cardinal, if you can see in this picture. It's on the swing set. It's got its wing going up. And they're just, they're beautiful, beautiful birds. And I remember with this, oh, well, there's one more picture. I got to show you this one. Hope took this one. And this is just a cool picture. Uh, every, in, in the springtime, we get these sandhill cranes that come through, and they're big and they're loud. I mean, you're at home minding your own business, and these guys come in, and it's like, you know, uh, 
you know, airplanes coming through or something. Like, are we under attack? What's going on? Uh, but Hope got this picture. And take a look at this. If you can see it, there's two of these big guys. But then, I don't know if you can tell, but on the one in the back, there's a, this is kind of an action shot. There's a little red-winged blackbird, and it is attacking the, uh, one of these sandhill cranes. Uh, so it's like flying and like getting it in the, in the back, trying to defend its, uh, probably got a nest there. So I just appreciate the, uh, the, um, the guts of this little bird, you know, taking on this big sandhill crane. I mean, the other crane's kind of looking back, they're just kind of annoyed, like, what are you doing? <laughs> so you got that going on. Now here, the reason I, I bring this up is because one day, we're, we're talking about this, we're looking over, and Hope is looking at the neighbors, and she says to herself, well, seems like they must be feeding their birds a little bit something different than we are, because they're getting all kinds of cardinals, and, and we're not getting those. So I, she was wondering, why are they getting cardinals and we're not? And so I kind of look out the window and say, yeah, we're just getting a bunch of generic birds. <laughs> and that got me thinking, you know, generic birds, what are the actual generic birds? Then I'm sure they're some kind of actual bird. But, you know, there's certain birds where you know, you know what they are. If you see a cardinal, you say, there's a cardinal. Okay, or even a woodpecker. There's a woodpecker or a blue jay. But there's certain birds you don't point out. You just, it's, just, it's just a generic bird. So I saw some of these, you know, just kind of generic. They're just birds out there. And I said to Hope, what are those just generic birds? And Hope said, Nate, those are sparrows. I said, oh, well, sparrows are kind of boring. So I had some pictures. Here's, here's a picture of two sparrows at the bird feeder. Now, okay, don't get me wrong. Sparrows are fine. Okay, there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing, there's nothing bad about sparrows. You know, but, but the neighbors, they got cardinals. He's got sparrows. They're plain. They're boring. They're, they're, they're common. They're not impressive. They're just kind of there. Just kind of generic filler birds. And I think this is part of Jesus' point. Because he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? He's saying that these are common. They're not worth a lot. In those days, two would be sold for a penny. Sometimes we will say that something, when something is common or not worth a lot, we'll say it's a dime a dozen. And it means it's, it's common, it's no big deal. Do you realize, okay, two for a penny, that's worse than a dime a dozen? I mean, just money-wise. So, in the ancient world, they would sell sparrows, and the poorer people would buy them, and they would eat them as food. They were kind of an inexpensive sort of finger food for the poor people in the ancient world. Okay, so this is kind of like the, the Burger King value menu of the ancient world, sparrows. And again, I mean, they're fine. Again, I have nothing against sparrows. I was looking at them and I said to Hope, well, at least they have those cool tails, you know, that are like the airplanes. And she said, no, you're thinking of swallows. 
I said, oh, okay, so there's really nothing cool at all about sparrows. Now, you want to see a cool bird. Let me show you a picture of a cool bird. Hope's brother, who lives in Florida, he was uh, camping with his wife, and they were at the campsite, and they looked up above their, above their tent, and they saw this bird there, and, and they, they took a picture. Look at that. An owl. That is a majestic, awesome bird. That is something to behold. You got to love owls, okay? They got those big old saucer eyes. You know, some of them have the cool ears, and they, uh, they, they can see at night. They swoop down and get their prey. And otherwise, they just, they just sit up there, you know, in the tree like this. Up there like a boss. I honestly think, an, okay, an owl to a regular bird is like Batman to a regular person. Owls are just cool. You got to respect an owl. But a sparrow, a sparrow is just boring. And a while ago, I was talking about this verse one time with, with a class and a girl in the class. I was talking about how sparrows are boring. And a girl got mad at me. She was upset. She said, hey, I like sparrows. Why are you saying all these bad things about sparrows? I said, I'm not saying bad things. Sparrows are fine. I have nothing against sparrows. They're just boring. They're just common. They're just, they're just no big deal. They're not that exciting. But that's the point. Jesus was saying that his father's eye was on the sparrow. The sparrow, which is two for a penny. They are not the most majestic bird. They are not the most impressive thing. And I'm glad that Jesus did not say, the father's eye is on the bald eagle. Well, of course it would be. Because they're cool. If you see a bald eagle, you stop and you look. If there's somebody around, you, you point it out. You say, there's a bald eagle. Look at that. You don't do that when you see a sparrow. You don't drive around and every time you see it and say, look, there's a sparrow. Unless you're Zoe. You, you actually, you know. But Jesus said that his father's eye is on the sparrow. And Jesus said that not one of those little birds, those insignificant little birds will fall to the ground apart from the Father's will. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows. There are billions of birds in this world. There are, you watch nature documentaries and you realize there are, there are billions of birds that human eyes will never even see. Massive flocks of 10,000 birds you know, flying over the uh, Siberian tundra and distant places. And they will live their lives 
They will fly around in their giant flocks. And not one of those birds, as insignificant as they might seem, will perish apart from God's will. And if that is true for them, how much more is it true for us? If God cares about the sparrow, and if it's true that not one of them will die one day sooner than God has decreed, how much more is that true for us? How much more is it true that God is watching over us? You are worth more than many sparrows. This means that you will not get sick apart from God's sovereign good will. It means that you will not experience tragedy or, or an accident. You will not experience the loss of your job or the loss of a loved one or die. Now, I wish I could tell you that none of those things would ever happen to you or someone that you care about. But the truth is that sparrows do fall. The truth is that sparrows do die, but not apart from the will of the Father. And I wish I could tell you that nothing bad, nothing tragic will ever come into your life. I'm sure that things have, and I'm sure that things will. But nothing like that will happen unless it is an important part of God's story, unless it's an important part of his great plan that he intends to use for his glory. These things can only come to us within the Father's vision And they can only come to us from the hand of your loving Father. And God keeps track of all those those sparrows. How many there are. You think of just the, the wisdom, the ability of God to do that. And so final point, do not be afraid because God knows and cares about even the smallest detail of your life. Verse 30, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. I know for some here that's that's a fairly easy task. (laughs) But even the smallest things. You know, some of the the ancient philosophers, the non-Christian philosophers, uh, one said, quote, the gods attend to the great matters, they neglect the small ones. Okay, so there's certain things that are big, important things that the gods, they care about those things, kingdoms and kings, but the, the details of life, that's, that's not a big deal. They neglect those things. And how much do we sometimes, even as Christians, think the same way? God cares about just big picture things, but my little life, the details, the struggles I'm going through, my hurts, my pains, that's, that, they can't be on his radar at all. This is, verse is saying God knows and that God cares And that even the small things matter a great deal. We know that. Maybe you've heard the saying that for want of, for the lack of a nail, the shoe was lost. For a horseshoe. For the lack of the shoe, the horse was lost. 
For the lack of the horse, the rider was lost. For the lack of the rider, the battle was lost. And for lack of the battle, the war was lost. Even small things can make a huge difference. And when you're driving and you get an eyelash stuck in your eye, you know that, that even a small thing can make a huge impact and a huge difference. The average human has 140,000 hairs. And this is even with some people that kind of lower the average a little bit. So if you take that, you multiply it by, let's say there's at least 6 billion people in the world, that would be 840 quadrillion hairs that God is keeping track of right now. It is amazing to think of all the things that God is keeping track of. Every hair, every bird, every detail of our lives, every sand on the seashore, every, every molecule of gas in a distant galaxy. And God knows all these things. God knows how they're going to impact different things. He knows uh, the results now and in the future as they interact and relate. It's amazing to think of all the things that God is able to keep track of. I was watching a show, it's a, the BBC show uh, called Planet Earth. I don't know if any of you have seen that show, but it's pretty neat. They have just, it's uh, one of these nature programs, and they're just some amazing, uh, just kind of nature uh, video photography in this that, that they show, just stunning things. And at one point they're talking about just these uh, flocks of birds, uh, just with uh, tens of thousands uh, a variety of different things. But one part that caught my attention, they were talking about the blue whale. Okay, the blue whale, the largest animal on earth. And actually they said this is the largest animal ever. So uh, the, the biggest thing, that, including the dinosaurs, this is the biggest thing that God has, has created, the blue whale. And they were going through some of these uh, facts about the blue whale, and I thought this was amazing. I'm thinking about this as far as God's creation. And they said that the, the blue whale uh, can be up to 100 feet long. Now, to give you some idea, we measured out here, and from that window over there to that window over here on the other side of the sanctuary is about 80 feet. Okay? So if you brought in a good-sized blue whale, we couldn't even fit it in the sanctuary. Unless we kind of curled it up, I guess, so we get getting in here, that these things weigh about 200 tons, okay, a blue whale, so they're the uh, largest animal ever, larger than any dinosaur, Uh, here's a picture of a skeleton of a blue whale, I thought I'd show you this one, because if you just see a blue whale out swimming in the ocean, you really have nothing to reference it to, so you don't really know. This gives you a little bit of idea of how gigantic these things are, just seeing this skeleton. The tongue of a blue whale weighs as much, just the tongue, as an elephant. The heart of a blue whale is the size of a car. Let me get you this one. This might gross you out a little bit, but they said in this documentary that in the blue whale, there are blood veins that are 
blood vessels that are so wide that you could swim down them. That is how big this creature is. And they feed on krill. Okay, these little tiny sea creatures that are maybe like a centimeter or two centimeters big, and this is, this is what they eat. And they said that an average blue whale, one blue whale each day can eat 40 million krill. And you think of that, thinking God is keeping track of each of those krill. 40 million that get eaten every single day. And God knows where they are. He knows their history. He knows where the krill came from. He knows when they're going to end. He's got them named and numbered. He knows the destiny. Even though they're just disposable whale food, God knows. 40 million a day for one blue whale. But then here's something. This stood out to me. Okay? When they said this on this documentary, I wrote this down. I'm going to read this word for word. They said, Their migration routes are still a mystery, and we have absolutely no idea where they go to breed. So let's compare. God versus man. Let's compare here. So man, with all of our technology, with all of our ability, and we can't even track the blue whale, the largest animal on this planet ever. And we have no idea where it goes. And on the other hand, God, not even a sparrow will fall to the ground apart from him. God, every one of your hairs is numbered. And God is keeping track of everything going on, every detail of your life, from the big things to the thing that may seem the most insignificant, God knows, he cares about, he's keeping track of. So who are you going to put your trust in? Who do you think has the details of your life mapped out the best? Are you going to trust in mankind? Or are you going to put your trust in God? God who knows what he's doing with the big things in your life, with the small things, with the the happy, good things, and also with the tragedies and the hard times. And if he allows anything to come into your life, big or small, knowing that he does it for a purpose, he knows how he's going to use it. He knows how it's going to play out both today and tomorrow and how the ripple effects of everything that he allows to happen are going to play out until the end of time. And we can take comfort in his care. If this is the God that we fear, there is nothing else that we need to fear. Let's, let's pray. God, we give you praise. We thank you that Jesus told us that your eye is on the sparrow. And Lord God, help us to remember that 
the reason that Jesus told this to his followers was not just so that they could come home and live a comfortable life in ease and comfort, but that knowing that would give them the boldness to proclaim your message even in the midst of a hostile world, even when it is not popular. In the same way, Lord God, we ask that you would speak this truth into our lives, help it to uh, be instilled in our hearts, not just for our comfort, although we thank you for that comfort, but that it would also make us bold for you. And Lord God, you know the circumstance of each person that's in this room, and you know the comfort that they need. And I ask that you would help them to place their trust in you, that they would fear you in the right way, and that that fear, that holy, that good fear, would cast out all other fears. As they look to you and they know who you are, and they know of your power and your sovereignty and your deep love for them. Lord, we know that real security is not found in insurance and safety measures, but real security is found in having a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And Lord God, I pray for anyone here that is apart from Jesus, that is keeping him at distance, that has not come to him, that needs to be made right with Jesus Christ that they would hear your word, that you would speak into their heart, you would let them see your open arms, and that they would trust in you as their Lord and their Savior, knowing that you died on the cross for them to take away their sin. And if you will do that, there's nothing we need to fear. And that if we have this fear of God, We do not need to be afraid. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. It's his name we pray. Amen.